This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Welcome to part two with Richard Watts, author of Entitled Mania, How Not to Spoil Your Kids and What to Do If You Have. Um, We're doing a two-part series on his book, Entitled Mania, and we've been talking about so many different issues that are just really important to Orange County families. Richard, it's good to have you back. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I think a lot of parents um, wonder how to keep their kids humble and teach them hard work and grit while they themselves want to enjoy this, you know, affluent lifestyle. You know, I think, for example, I think of traveling. You know, I know a lot of people, their kids, you know, get on the plane and they might expect to sit in a certain part of the plane or stay at a certain hotel. And the parents struggle with the idea that that's what they want to do. So how do you, how do you have that? So two things in that. One would be that, again, verbalizing to the kids and saying, Mom and dad are going to be here for a certain period of time. The things you do with us, you're not going to be able to do once you leave home. Mm-hmm. So this is, a, this is kind of a carnival while you're here with us, the travel, the stuff, the this, the that. But the minute you leave home, the minute you go off, or minute, maybe minute you're done with college, you know, you're on your own for this stuff. And if we travel, you know, it's going to be mom and dad, but, you know, don't expect me to pay for your, your travel seat. Interestingly, my wife and I never flew first class until we were 40 years old. We could have long before, and but I wanted my family to feel they were less than. And, and it brings in a word that is, is really big to me, particularly in the last several months, is the word empathy. Mm-hmm. Empathy, you know, the world is all about, you know, a narcissistic person says, I want you to understand me. Empathy is I want to understand you. Mm-hmm. And to teach kids how to understand you, the other people around them, they need to see those other people around them. And when they're in first class and when they're not around different types of people with different things, they don't really get the materials that are necessary for empathy. So we're now back in coach flying most all the time. Um, and as soon as we decided at 40 we were going to travel on our own and move up to business class or first class, we kept the kids back in coach. So every time we flew, the kids went in coach. Now, here we are with five grandkids and more on the way. They, the deal is, is that we have a great big event every year where we go get a place in Hawaii or we get a place in Aspen or something like that. And just to make it hurt a little bit, (laughs) I say, once you land, everything's on mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Once you land. So, you got to get your wife and you and your three kids, and you got to get your two kids. You need to get to the destination, wherever it is. And sometimes that costs them, you know, four or $5,000 for a family of five. Mm. But you think they're flying business class? They're all in coach. They just got back just now from Croatia about a, a month ago, my older son. 
And they all flew, that whole thing. He would never consider flying business class with his nine, eight, and four-year-old daughters because he wants them to be – he wants them to live regular. He doesn't want to begin to show them. So the answer to your question is, is, you know, not only do you have to, you know, advise the kids that, you know, that that mom and dad are this carnival during the time that that they're around and that's going to change, but I think you need to put them in the back of the plane. I think you really need to be willing to do that. But how much is too much? So is that based on the socioeconomics of a family? You know, is a BMW acceptable when you're 16 if your family is so affluent that it can afford it? Yeah, the answer to that is I don't think it's acceptable. Um, I I think that, uh, you know, I don't think it's relative. It might be relative when you're talking about a family living in New York and the projects on welfare. Can they spoil their kids? I've had them come up to me in lectures and say, you know something, you just – showed me that I'm spoiling my kids and I'm I'm in the projects. I'm on welfare. Mm. But I make my son wear a $130 pair of tennis shoes and I'll forego food to put those shoes on him because when he walks out of this building, I want him looking smart mm. with, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old kid with $130 shoes. And they just go, boom, the light went on in their head and they said, we're doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So is that relative? You know, I, I, I think that, you know, that's an example where $130 can be entitling. But I think that it, what's really important is that kids not be allowed to float to a place where a BMW is acceptable for every person that's turning 16 in school. I think that relative to even the larger community in Orange County is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and it begins to you know take away that child's pride in what they're doing because they didn't earn it. And the parents trying to transfer their pride to the child because when they got a car, what did they get? Did they, you know, what did the parent get? Parent got a used, beat up, jalopy, you know, best they could get. But why is the kid getting a new car? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that I know here in Orange County, even in your school, a number of family members um, that that have grown their kids to sixteen that put them in used cars intentionally knowing these things are going to break down yeah. Yeah. and knowing that they're going to learn that, you know, they're not going to be like Sally or Jenny that's got the BMW. And what happens, what's really interesting is that they begin to compare themselves. The kids begin to compare. And all of a sudden you find out that, you know, Sally with the used car takes care of her car better. She had to earn part of it. She gets it taken away if she doesn't keep it clean. The one with the, the BMW is a, just a junk pit. It's got, you know, garbagey soccer stuff in the back that's sweaty and stinky and smelly. And the parents are jumping on the kids for not taking care of it. But they don't understand that the kid never really created any – got any pride in owning right. it. And so Sally begins to learn and say, wow, you know, Jenny is derailing. You know, she's, she's not taking care of that car. Mm-hmm. And the kids aren't kind of going with Jenny because she – She's not the most popular gal. It's not material things that make the popularity. It's that person that's got some dynamic to them. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the parent that's really making the kids unique are the ones that have the dynamic that people are attracted to. Um, In your book, you talk about uh, birth order in regards to entitlement. I thought that was very interesting. Um, I've already made some mistakes with my youngest, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's natural. And and it's one of those things that we all love our kids. And I think we, in the beginning, we seem to be a little bit more rigid. Mm-hmm. 
about our parenting uh, with the first ones and they get the brunt of tough love. Mm-hmm. And parents, as they have number two or number three, they get tired. You know, they're exhausted. And so the third one begins to be the one that, you know, you're going to just kind of, okay, I'm going to lay back. I'm not going to quite enforce everything. And then, of course, you'll get the older one saying, how come he or she doesn't get the same such and I wasn't allowed to do that. I couldn't come in at 12 o'clock at night when I was 13 or 14. And they get that kind of deal. But in my own family, um, that played out that way with our three boys where the last one came along four years behind the others and um, and we really did get lax on him and he's a wonderful young man but it showed when he went to college and it showed after he got out and it showed when we even let him live in our house after college which we never did with the kids mm. and he was making great money and and it uh, eventually I, I I had to tell him he has to leave yeah. Can you speak a little more about that? Because I think there's a lot of Orange County families that are in this section where their kids graduated. Maybe they didn't actually graduate, too. And they're living at home. Mm-hmm. And they're in their 20s living at home. And um, it's a predicament because they want to support the kids, you know, or adults. And yet they're not necessarily empty nesting. They're not moving because right. they like the lifestyle that they have. Right. At home, and they're in conflict because oftentimes they want to feel good about themselves, but yet I don't know if they feel so capable about achieving. Maybe because they're comparing their parents' lifestyle to maybe what they should, how they should be living. Yeah, but it's really not realistic that they would be living like no, that. No, no, and and you know, it kind of reminds me of like someone breaking a leg in a doctor setting it. You know, you come into the hospital and the doctor says, "Look, this is broken. I'm going to have to set it. It's going to hurt a lot." Yeah. And when would a parent ever come in and say, oh, no, 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 don't set it. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. I I don't want you to set it. Well, if you don't, they're going to limp the rest of their lives. They're going to have a leg that grows back improperly. And yet parents do that all the time. They say, you know, I really don't want to set the leg. And that's where parenting needs to be talked about early, um, which means when they go to college, we made it very clear that when you come home at, uh, in the summertime, if you're at home, you have a job, Yeah. you know, full-time job, not just part-time. Uh, and when you get done with college, plan on moving out. And, and so they knew that all along. And so they went right from their dorm, not their dorm, but their apartments in college. They went right into their own apartment. And frankly, the older two went, even in the summertime of the, between their junior and senior year, they moved out. But again, it comes back to you're pushing your reality in this discussion of what parents are. You're pushing their reality on me. And I'm saying their reality is not the reality. The reality you're pushing on me is – and I say that caringly. I'm not trying to be tougher – is that you're saying they're incapable of doing it on their own. They don't have enough job to afford an apartment. And of course, you can come up with all of these – this scenario of where kids can't make it, all right? So my niece graduates from college. My sister is an educator. She doesn't have the money to help the kids. She comes down to Southern California and she, and she says, I'm going to go to work for Disneyland right out of college. She graduated from Chico State. And I thought, what are you going to make? She says, $10.50 an hour. And I said, wow, where are you going to live on that? She says, well, actually, I found a gal that will split up with me in a place that's not so great. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting up in an area of Anaheim slash Fullerton that is kind of on the border. 
but we're going to make it. And she says, when I get done at the end of the month, I've got like $60. Now, what parent in Orange County is going to let that happen? But I got to let you know. And I thought, you know, here she's never going to make it. She's, you know, if it would have been me, I would have just been going, oh, my gosh, my sister couldn't do any better. Yeah. She came down. She's now been at Disneyland for 11 years. She's now like a director of costumes for the entire park. Wow. She has moved from one place to the next to the next to where she got better and better. She actually went to Disney World on a vacation that she paid for herself, and she got a 40% discount <laughs> on everything. So she was so proud of that. She goes to the Disney store to shop sometimes to get the things like luggage that she needs because she gets it at 70% off. Mm-hmm. She got married three years ago to a guy that was an electrician. They now have moved into – they just finished at the age of – she's now 30, 29, 30. They just bought a condo oh. in Orange County on their own. They have no money left over. They are so happy. <laughs> they have so many friends. Mm-hmm. And my question is, is why only her? Mm-hmm. And I look at her and as, a, as an uncle, I'm so proud of her. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe she did it and she stuck it out. And now he's, his job has gone from making $13, $12 an hour. to He's making like $30 an hour as an electrician putting up rock star lights and doing mm-hmm. all these sets for these things. And – you know, they're now – they've built this on their own and when you get with them and you talk with them, you know, they're, they're, they're completely independent of mom and dad. But they spend all kinds of time with their mom and dad because they love them on both ends. They're so proud. Mm-hmm. And when my sister comes down and stays with them in their two-bedroom condo, it's like I'm staying with my daughter who nine years ago was making $10.50 an hour. Right. There's so much more that can come from – you know, making yourself get out of the reality that it can't happen mm-hmm. and get into the reality of supporting and affirming without saving and rescuing. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's, it's, a, it's a process. It's like a coach. It's like the doctor setting the leg. It's like a coach watching kids sweat and almost pass out during spring training for baseball or football. It's, it's hell week is about, you know, very difficult thing to prepare you for what's coming up. Mm-hmm. And then when you get done and you're on the field and you do what you do, it's because you've had the training to be able to handle the situations that you're going to have. Oftentimes as parents, we're so, we're so self-centered that we want to feel good no matter what. And so we take away the pain. We create the realities that, that let us do what we really want to do to not feel the pain. And in the end, you wind up with kids that are marginal rather than in the end kids that you just sit there going, wow. And you get so proud. Even She's working at Disneyland after college. I mean, some parents would say, not my kid. I want him to be in a company. I want him to be a CFO. I want, you know, she's so happy. Well, she built a career. Yes. Yep. That's great. Very empowering. Yeah. I, I have another question for you because some of our listeners are also grandparents. What do you suggest to grandparents when it comes to the care of grandkids and, say, paying for private school or gifting money? Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure, sure. First of all, I think the grandparents' responsibility is to do two things. They're to, you know, take the kids in when mom and dad are kind of going crazy and slow them down. So my whole mission is twofold with all my grandkids. I want to slow them down which means let's stop worrying about all the 20 things you have to do. If you're with me, 
we're just going to do whatever you want to do. It's going to be slow and it's not going to be jumping on a plane and going to some fancy destination. This is going to be like, let's go play in the sand. Let's go dig a hole. Let's go mm-hmm. do whatever. And let's go, let's go to a museum. Let's do something like that. And then the other side of it is giving my time. That's something that parents have a hard time doing right now because they're busy. Mm. And grandparents can really fill in that gap and be another learning experience for the kids if they slow them down and give them their time, mm-hmm. if they do those, those two things. In the world of grandparents interfering, uh, I don't believe a grandparent is entitled to do anything in terms of gifting that a parent doesn't allow. So if the parent says, okay, you can pay for the education – then that's, that's it. It comes to the parent, and the parent administrates the education. It's not like grandma and grandpa get some nifty relationship with a school, and then they donate an extra $100,000, and now the kid's name is up there on a building. And, you know, they can't play that game. It's mm-hmm. got to be at the direction of mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And the gifting the same way, you know, as a grandparent, we kind of feel like all of my principles are now fair game. You know, forget everything I learned, everything I'm teaching in Entitlemania – we're grandparents. Now we can just spoil the heck out of them, right? Mm-hmm. Kinda. You know? <laughs> but but what comes back at us is is that and I just loved it. Is my son, my oldest granddaughter is nine, and my son came back and said, uh, you know, you and Grandma are buying stuff at Christmas. You're buying like five things, and you're spending three or four or five hundred dollars on each of the kids. From now on, and this is quite early, one gift. No more than $100. Mm-hmm. If you do, we'll just basically give it away to charity. Hmm. So now it's like one gift. We have to really think about it. It's usually something a little bit proactive, something kind of nifty, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just a toy. Um, and we have to think about it. So, again, my my point is, is that the parents are the ones dictating mm-hmm. everything the grandparents can do. When I see grandparents come in and buy a car for grandkids, it makes me nuts because – they're really trumping the parents' schooling and education, and the parents sometimes don't know any better mm. than to say, Mom and Dad, no. This is going to be done by us, and our kids need to see us struggle so they understand when they get to be parents that struggling's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the, getting the money together to buy a used car and the kid's going to pay some portion of it matching is, is, is okay. It doesn't just always have to be, okay, well, now this is a little bit of a struggle, so we don't want to show that to our kids, so grandma and grandpa, go buy them a new BMW. You know, I really have a problem with that, and I see it a lot here in Orange County. Yeah. So grandparents interfere all the time. But when we talk about education, Mm -hmm. do you think that's an area where you can't necessarily overindulge your children? Yes and no. Um, Always a yes and no. Um, The yes part of it is – I, I generally believe that parents and grandparents and anybody paying for education is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you can overdo the education. First of all, it's got to be mom and dad's determination, right? You know, you are – you may be getting a great education, but you're also creating a bubble for the kids that are seeing life as all of those kids, that mm-hmm. that's their reality. And so that takes extra work on the part of the parent mm-hmm. to make sure – you're grounding those kids and they're learning empathy for other kids and what's going on in the world outside of Orange County, outside of Newport Beach, mm-hmm. right? right? So so if if the education is okay with you and grandparents want to pay for it, I say go. I say that's a go. College, same thing. But let me say this just hmm. to show you how weird I am. 
My dad was relatively well off. He basically wanted to pay for education. I watched my dear and loved older brother get kind of everything he wanted and kind of drop out of this school and that school and he kept paying and, you know, he bought him – he had a car in college and he had all these things. And I thought, gosh, I'm just – I can feel at the age of 17, 18, that's not right. So I said, dad, tell you what, I'm just going to pay for myself. He says, you have no money. And I said, I'll get a job, I'll work and I'll go through college on my own. And I did. And I went to UC San Diego and then afterward went to law school and I was married and had to go at night and then went to Harvard after that and all of that stuff. My gosh, it was so much worse. My brother got this all for free and I'm sitting there working and I'm doing landscaping in San Diego and I had a little business and I was putting in sprinklers on the weekends and but I, I learned so much mm-hmm. by the time I got there that when I finally arrived at Harvard Business School, I sat out the night. I left the group of the orientation and I walked over to the Baker Library in the night with those great big pillars and I just cried. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things where I thought, oh, my gosh, I made it here. Mm-hmm. I did this on my own. I made it. My brother went to law school. My brother's a judge. And if you compare the two of us, he'll now look back and say – you know, I kind of wish dad had pushed me out a little bit more because it really derailed me for a lot of years having any time I wanted anything. I could spend what I wanted, you know, just I'd go to him and complain and I needed extra money and I would always get it. And he says, if someone had just put the stop on that, I might have been as proud as you were to reach the places you've reached. So all I'm saying is I think educations are really good. Mm-hmm. I know kids that have done it on their own that have had horrible student loans and all that stuff, my kids, I made them all pay for half their postgraduate education. They all Mm -hmm. got doctorates and master's degree and whatnot. I made them pay for half. Not that I couldn't write the check, but they all graduated with $100,000 in student loans. One of them still paying on it, you know, years later, eight, nine years later. But when I talk to them about it, it's amazing that I can feel in my heart the pride, the ownership they've got in, in their education. And, you know, you talk about this academic scandal. Let's take it all the way to the end Mm -hmm. where people are just literally – you don't even qualify to get in and you're bribing to get in. And, you know, I've been very involved in that issue nationally. Um, And, you know, you get to this place where these parents – you know, those kids, come on. I mean go talk to some of those kids. They're not there with this sense of thirst of, oh my gosh, I'm here and I really want to do well. They're there going, you know, I'm here. So right. what what am I going to do while I'm here? You know, I really don't want to study. I'm really I want it's been easy, so I don't want to I don't want to make it hard on myself. But so you know, there's there's a spectrum, and I think there's you just can't ever look at right or wrong. There's always a yes and a no. Right. So you just have to think as a parent, what's comfortable for you? Mm-hmm. With you, it might be you want your kids to pay half their education just to do it, and with you, it might you might feel very comfortable. Uh, you know, having them pay for all of the education. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really kind of up to you. I know I've had some families in my practice where they'll say, we'll pay for your undergrad, but then graduate work is on you. Yeah. And I think that's been really helpful because right. it really incentivizes um, their kids to hone in on a profession that they don't want to waste their money on, you right. know, having a graduate degree. And right. then, well, right. I don't really want to do this now. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. You have to be very clear yes. when it comes to your graduate work about what you want to do. Well, in, in, in a worse story, I don't think this is an entitled mania, but my middle son, Todd, graduated from USC and he was on a budget and he got his education paid for. 
But when he got done, he went right to work for a capital. He was, a, he was in the, the numbers business with um, investment stuff. And he went to work uh, for a Wilshire Capital in uh, Los Angeles right away. And I just noticed he was not doing any vacations. He was not taking any time off. He was working, 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 working. And after two years, he came to me and said, Dad, I got a problem. I've got a debt. What's the debt? Well, and when I was at USC, everybody was doing all these fancy things and traveling and everything. And I got offered credit cards. And so I got this credit card bill and I didn't want to mm-hmm. tell you about it. And it's two years later. And I said, well, what is there, like five grand or something or 10 grand? He says, no, $47,000 wow. on nine cards. Oh, and, wow. I, and my wife says, hey, he's an honors graduate. Mm-hmm. Pay it off. And I said, there's no way that is never going to happen. And we got in an issue over that for mm-hmm. – you know, a number of two or three years. And I basically helped him refinance it at a lower rate. And then I said, you're going to pay $700 a month no matter what you do. And if you ever get a bonus, it's going to pay that principal down. So he paid on that for three years, got admitted to Yale Business School, mm-hmm. uh, couldn't get in because he didn't have enough money, went to the to the, to the, uh, uh, to the dean and he said, look, it, I'm short money to get in because my dad's making me pay $700 a month on a debt that I have. And they said, well, we've got an emergency thing that we can handle that. So we'll help you with a more of a loan. Mm. He got all the way through. In the crisis, the financial crisis of 2009, he comes out. He's so hungry to get a job that he goes down to Wall Street every day and he, he does interviews and then drops postcards in the mail. To save the stamp, he drops them right into the, into the mail chute so they go right up to the company. <laughs> He got offered three jobs. J.P. Morgan hires normally 250 people. They hired 38 that year. Wow. He got one of those jobs. Mm. And he called me and he said, Dad, he says, I got a $60,000 signing bonus to start a J.P. Morgan on Wall Street. And I said, you know the deal, don't you? He goes, I do. <laughs> I do. credit card's paid and off. And he says, I'm from 47 <laughs> down to 28 grand. And he mm. says, net of taxes, it'll zero me out. But he said, I'm going to push the button. He said, I want you to get online. <laughs> and we got online and we saw that. That, that balance, and he pushed, transferred the money, and it went to zero. I started crying. He mm. was crying, and he said, Dad, he says, I never felt so good to be broke. Mm. I've got nothing, but I owe nothing. Yeah. And he started off, and from there, he's been one frugal dude. That's great. Yeah, so. Wow. Richard, thank you so much yes, for you're being welcome. on the show today. You're very it's, welcome. We've learned so much from you, and it's, <laughs> a, and it's our hope that Orange County families have really, really taken what we've talked about today. I think we've Absolutely. covered a number of different themes that sure. are just so central to raising healthy families. So thank you. You bet. Love and it. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Gold Pacific Studios today for having us as usual recording and our engineering team here, Chowee. Thank you so much. And Dan Ballard. We'll see you next time on Mainspring Family Wellness. Mm-hmm.